text for this morning is from Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. This is God speaking to us in his word. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. After the sermon we will sing together from Psalm 33, stances 4, 5, and 6, how the Lord watches over the nations and how he looks and goes, looks on favor on those who trust in him alone. Beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, just a moment ago we sang from Psalm 133, how good it is when brothers are united with one another's company, delighted. It's good to be here together this morning, isn't it? Unity is something that men and women crave more than anything. It's human nature not to want to be alone and to seek the company of others. That's the way it already was for Adam in paradise. He desired a partner, someone to share his life with, to cooperate together with, to help one another with. After the fall into sin, there was an even greater desire for unity. For now, men and women had to struggle in a hostile environment. When you are in a hostile environment, then you experience yourself to be weak and vulnerable, and there is strength in numbers. 
You need each other to protect each other. And God also recognizes that. That's why it says in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and following, that two are better than one, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. In other words, united, you are strong. You will have a better return for your work, and you will be able to help each other during difficult times. It's no wonder that there is such a great desire for unity in this day and age as well. Politicians especially seek strength in numbers. The more people you have on your side, the more power that you will have. But there is a problem with that. Most often, people seek such unity without God. They do it for selfish reasons. They do it to advance their own agenda. Or they do it out of fear, out of pride, to show off how great they are. There is nothing new under the sun, brothers and sisters. You may think that the building of the Tower of Babel was a primitive way to show one's pride and strength in numbers, and that today we would not do so, at least not something like that. But do you really think so? Why do you think cities built the great skyscrapers? No doubt they are displays of power, of prestige, of showing the world that you are a force to be reckoned with. And what about churches? Think about the churches of yesteryear. Same kind of thing. During the Middle Ages, each community took great pride in the church buildings that they erected. The bigger the church and the bigger the tower, the greater the prestige. Cities for centuries tried to outdo each other with the size of the churches that they built. Is today any different? Success of churches today can be measured, so it is thought, by the number of people it can attract and by the large buildings that can accompany them, that they can accommodate them. But what do you think the Lord thinks about all this? Well, the text says that if we seek our strength from the wrong source, if we seek false unity, then the Lord will step in and he'll break us apart as he did at the time of Babel. And so what then does God want from us? How are we to seek unity? What should be the most important element in our unity? Also here in this building. That's what I want to preach to you about this morning. The theme is as follows. The Lord God scatters the people at Babel because of their <clears throat> false quest for unity. And then we will look at three elements of this text. We will look at unity sought, secondly, unity broken, uni and then finally, unity restored.
In Genesis 11, verse 4, we read that men say to each other, Come, let us build for ourselves a tower uh, or a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. In the original, it actually says, each man says to his friend, come, let us do this and that. That shows that everybody was on friendly terms with each other. And why shouldn't that be? It's a time of prosperity. It appears that at this point of the history in the world, there is no need for competition with each other. There is enough for each to go around. The people after the flood live in the fertile plain of Shinar, the land between the rivers Tigris and Euphrates, where there is plenty of food and shelter, prosperity bounds. You would think that such prosperity would lead the people to thank God for such gifts, especially since it had been not so long after the flood. After all, these were the children of Noah, the only one who with his family was spared during the flood. Flood had destroyed the whole world. And you would think that now his children and his grandchildren and great-grandchildren would know and that they would fear the Lord. Sadly, that's not the case. Prosperity, more often than not, leads to apostasy. Man becomes proud and haughty. A man thinks that he can fend for himself. He thinks that he doesn't need God. And isn't that the way it is today as well? We also live during prosperous times, peaceful times. This used to be a Christian country. But look at now. Modern man wants to take God and his laws out of the picture. Don't think that God will tolerate this, brothers and sisters. He will not. He will take action in one way or the other. And that's what he does in this particular instance in Babel. He intervenes by confusing the speech of the people. Now, as you know, speech is a very important part of fellowship. It is how God connects with us and we with God. God speaks to us and we speak to him. We can also speak to each other. Can you imagine if you were not able to do that? Speech is very important. That's the way it was already at the very beginning of creation. After God created Adam and Eve, what did he do? Well, the first thing he did is to speak to them. And what did he say? He made promises to them. He connected with them in a most wonderful way, and he told them that he loved them and that he created them to be in fellowship with him. And he constantly communicated with him, with Adam and Eve. But God did more than that. He also gave Adam and Eve the ability to speak to each other. Communication has very little meaning if it's only from one side. 
It's through communication that we are able to have a relationship with him and each other. And that's how we connect together. Of course, we connect in many other ways as well, with our eyes, with our touch, and there are so many other ways. But one of the most important ways to communicate is through speech. And God created us in a relationship of love. And because he loves us, he directs us and he guides us with his word. Who better to do that? Who better to do that than God? He is the one who created it all. He knows everything. And so we have to respond to him and listen to him and show our thanks to him for his wonderful creation and for the wonderful bond that we have. In paradise, before the fall into sin, we had a most wonderful, meaningful, and loving relationship with God, especially because of the, the gift of speech. But as I said, God also gave us the ability to communicate with each other. We could also connect in a wonderful way with one another. God created Adam and Eve to cooperate together and to carry out God's mandate. And that's what God wanted. He wanted them to carry out his mandate. He wanted them to form an alliance together and to fulfill his mandate to subdue the earth and to fill it. But then something horrible happened. Instead of forming an alliance with God against the devil and his works, Adam and Eve used their ability to communicate with each other and with the devil to form an alliance against God. Horrible. As we saw last week, Satan tempted them to take God out of the picture. He tempted Adam and Eve to make to make a pact with him instead of God. And that is the most horrible thing that ever happened here on this earth. Because of that sin, the unity between God and man and between man and man became broken. And yet, wonderfully, mercifully, God does not cease to communicate with man. He still keeps open the line of communication. Why? Because he loves his creation. And for that reason, he speaks to man and he gives him a promise. He promises him a Messiah. He did that right after the fall into sin. And because of that promise, he made it possible to continue to have a relationship with man and to keep the lines of communication open with him. Now we can still speak to him, we can pray to him as we could this morning. We can have fellowship with him. God still loves his creation and he still loves us, his children. But there's a great disconnect Men and women can speak to God, but there are obstacles, aren't there? Because of sin, we can no longer 
see him. We can no longer walk and talk with him as Adam and Eve could in paradise. Now sin and evil stand in the way of true meaningful fellowship. So what happens? Well, look at what happens around you. Now people want to go their own way. And most people want to do things in their own strength. They want nothing to do with God. It is easier to keep that alliance with the devil who will let you do whatever you want than with God who holds you accountable. And you see, that's what happened during the time of the building of the Tower of Babel. It was an alliance against God. Now, why do you think mankind would do that? Against God who so dearly loves him and who loves to be in fellowship with him even after the fall into sin. Well, brothers and sisters, that has to do with pride. According to Augustine, pride was the original sin. Adam and Eve allowed themselves to be betrayed by Satan by making them think that they could be equal to God and even to be independent from God. He even got them to believe that they could get along without God. What a fatal mistake. And in spite of God's mercy, man continues to want to make that mistake. God created us in relationship with him. But when you are in a relationship, you are always accountable to each other. Isn't that the way it is in the marriage as well, in the good marriage? Mankind today doesn't want to be held accountable. We see that more and more man has rejected God. Yet it is impossible to remain alive outside of a relationship with God. You are either in a relationship with God or in a relationship with the devil. There is no middle way. Look at what happened at Babel. Man thought that he could get along without God. God had told them to spread out all over the earth. They were to subjugate the whole world and they were to seek their strength, not in numbers, but in the Lord their God. Why? Well, ultimately, you can receive power only from God. Only his word is powerful. Only he speaks the truth. And he is the God of pure speech. All power comes from his mouth alone. When he speaks, it comes to be. Think about it. God spoke, and the earth came into existence. As it says in Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. That's God's power. Man himself can only share in that power of God if he himself speaks the words of God. And if you receive the power from God alone, then you have a power which lasts, lasts into eternity. But if you don't want to share in God's power, if you want to be independent from God, then you seek to promote not God's name, but your own name. 
And that's also what happened at Babel. They wanted to build a great city with a tower in its midst only because, as it says, they wanted to make a name for themselves. They didn't want God in the picture. They wanted themselves in the picture. They wanted to be remembered by the following generations for their great technology and their monuments. And so such frenzied activity is born out of fear. For when you look for your strength without God and try to find it within yourself or within your community, then you will never receive it because then you will find out what a fleeting thing it is. Think about it. Alliances come and go. People are fickle. Everybody is out for himself. People are also vulnerable because of their weaknesses. Illness and calamity can easily overtake you. And so you're forever change, chasing something that you can't quite catch. And you see that here in Babel. The people are afraid to be scattered all over the earth and lose contact with each other. They seek to hang on to each other to find security in numbers so that together they can overcome the mighty powers of nature. They seek solidarity against the forces of nature which became hostile because of the forces of sin. Some think that their desire to climb into the heavens were that it was their desire to climb up to the heavens where God lives. But actually the opposite is true. These people were afraid of what they found on the earth. It is a lack of trust in the Lord that drove them. It is especially because they do not take God into account in their lives that they seek each other for security. The city of Babel with its tower in its midst is not an attempt to climb up to heaven, but a desperate attempt to subdue the earth without the help of God. But then God looks down from heaven. He sees the pitiful maneuvering of man. He sees their frenzied activities full of fear and apprehension. He sees their haughty delusion that they do not need him, that they can fend for themselves. They want to make a name for themselves? Well, only God can do that. The next chapter, in chapter 12, which we read a portion of, we read about Abram. God continued to gather a people for himself after the flood, and then Abram comes on the scene, but he is the one who gathers his people. Man cannot give credit to himself. And so what does he say to Abraham in verse 2? I will make your name great. Only God can do that. Abraham understood that. The men at Babel had to understand the same thing. But they didn't. When you read through the genealogy, which is the second part of Genesis 11, and then we see that only the line of Peleg, many names there, but Peleg continues to be faithful to, to God, that line. But also from his line, many fall away. Five more generations pass by in which we see the line of the seed of the woman culminate in the seed of Abraham, out of which a great nation would be born. 
Yet also that great nation is disobedient to God throughout the history of mankind. We see that the church is always in a minority situation. Few men also today they want to depend on the Lord God alone. But then here in the text we see that God comes down. And when he comes down to earth, he does so with blessings and curse. He scatters the nation by confusing their language. At this point in the history of mankind, man knew only one language. And now by confusing their tongues, he makes it impossible for them to communicate with each other. Suddenly they are no longer able to have fellowship with each other. And so he makes it very difficult for them to make alliances with each other. That's God's curse. It is at this time in the history of the world that heathendom, with all its horrible practices, is spread all over the world. For man did not learn his lesson to depend on God. They, turned, they do not turn to God for their strength. The Lord God of the Bible is no longer known nor his dealings with people. Only some vestiges of their former knowledge is still seen in the history of the world. But God also comes down with blessings. And what a great blessing that is. He makes sure that there remain on earth a people to worship him and to praise him and to depend on him for their salvation. He keeps a remnant faithful. He keeps a remnant of faithful men and women out of whom the Christ, the Savior of the world, would be born. What a great blessing that is. Can you imagine if that didn't happen? And in verse 6, the Lord God says about the wickedness of man that nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. That is, there is nothing of which they will not think themselves capable and which they will not attempt. If God would not interfere, the inescapable wickedness of man would become too great. And yet, it is not yet ripe. The earth is not yet ripe for judgment, for the final judgment. And that is why now he scatters the peoples. The world of today also seeks for unity. In Western Europe, the people seek economic unity with each other. They, they, and internationally, we see the same trend. Nations are seeking all kinds of alliances. As such, that's not necessarily wrong. But why do they do it? They are seeking power in themselves. They do it out of fear. And they seek whatever advantage they can get. And mostly, they leave God out of all their deliberations. But where does the Lord teach us that we find our strength? Where do you find true power? It's through him and his word. There is no power except from him. And that is something that every politician and every voter and every nation today had also better remember. It's not the party with the most votes that has the greatest power. It's not the party with the greatest amount of seats in parliament that will have the greatest power either. No, it is that person and that party and that country that wants to do God's will, that wants to promote God's name, 
which will have the most power. The same thing is true of the church. It's not the largest churches who are the most powerful influences in the world. It's not those churches that are able to attract the greatest amount of people who are most effective. No, it is those churches that allow God's word to be preached in all its purity. Only then do you have power in this world. It may seem that we don't have a lot of power in this world. But the world measures power and effectiveness in a completely different way than the Bible does. But God says that if you speak in accordance with his word, then you have power, real power, even if you are the only one and the whole world laughs at you. Think about Noah. He came with God's word. He told the people that God is going to speak. He is going to speak, and at his word, the waters will gush forth and cover all the earth. And the world laughed and kept on going with its own business until it's too late. And in the end, God's words always come true. And yet let us also remember that God not only scatters, but he also unites. That's how we started off, and that's how it's going to be in the end. That's our final point. Unity restored. In Acts 2, we read about Pentecost. There we see how the Lord blesses the church with the gift of pure speech. The Holy Spirit works mightily, and everyone can understand what is being said. It gives us a glimpse of the life hereafter. At that time, all impediments to proper communication have, will have been removed. Such pure speech as found on that first day of Pentecost was, of course, only a temporary thing. Today, the barriers to communication have not been completely removed. But let us not forgive that, forget that now we live after Pentecost. And therefore, it is different than at the time of Babel. God's Spirit has been poured out all over the world. The curse of Babel has been removed by the blood of Christ. What exactly is the curse? Well, the curse, brothers and sisters, is isolation without God. God scattered the people all over the world in the hope that since they no longer have each other to depend on, that they would turn to him. For a life without God is always a life in isolation, fear, and loneliness. And that is why in today's society, there are so many unhappy people. And that is why we have to reach out to them, to have them experience what true unity, what true fellowship is all about. For the curse of disunity, of disconnectedness, of not truly belonging to anyone or anything, has been removed through Christ. But you have to believe in him. And therefore, we are called to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, sure, we still experience loneliness even when we are believers. We still can become depressed because we do not connect very well with others. 
but ultimately we can call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and know that he will totally restore us and make us one with him and feel his presence. The Lord Jesus Christ has committed himself to be with you and me always. He speaks to us and if we are committed to him, we do not have to experience the isolation of Babel and the confusion of tongues. God is the God of pure speech. His language to us is clear. And so, brothers and sisters, let me ask you, do you want to embrace the alternative to Babel? And what might that be, you might ask? Well, Babel means pride and fear, paranoia even, the power game, and the consequent alienation and isolation. Someone who is interested in earthly power, someone who is interested in making his own name great, is always and forever looking over his shoulder, wondering or not if somebody is going to take it all away. And you know no rest, you know no peace. But God's alternative, Babel in full reverse, is to trust in God alone. It is to believe that only he can truly satisfy your hungry and thirsty soul. God's alternative is to live in peace with your fellow man. And that means not being anxious about what tomorrow will bring. This alternative broke, broke service on the day of Pentecost. On that day, God poured out his spirit all over the flesh. But what are the consequences of Pentecost? What does that mean for us today? Well, we can see that picture at the end of chapter 2 of Acts, where we read, All who believed were together, and all had things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as, they, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord God blessed the church greatly. Why? He blessed them because only the church is what belongs to God. The church relied not on numbers, but on pure speech, on the speech of the Holy Spirit. The church here in Emmanuel is also called to be the opposite of Babel. And therefore, pride and power struggles have no place here. It has no place in the consistory room or the council room. It has no place in the people of the church. There's no place in the Lord Jesus Christ for those who want to outdo others by whatever means. Pride has no place in the hearts of anyone here. And it includes the workplace and our everyday lives. And so in this church, there may be no isolation and alienation we may not isolate or alienate anyone. We're all one in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what background, no matter what our culture is, no matter what the color of our skin is, 
True unity you will only find if you are part of God's people. The church is called to be God's alternative to the arrogant, manipulative, self-seeking, power-grabbing power pattern of community life, which is all the secular world ever knows. And therefore, the exhortation comes to you and to me this morning to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Let your mouth confess that truth and speak forth the truth of the gospel and the language of love to your fellow believer and to all those with whom you come into contact. Allow no alienation, no isolation within your families, within the church. God is our creator. He has created us in communion with each other and speaking a unified language. We must study God's word and learn his will. The more we study God's word and attempt to live in accordance with his will, the more we will all speak the same language, the language of love for God and our fellow man. Amen.